It's uniquely to do. So last night, I was uh, sitting at the house. It was probably about 9.30. Uh, to confess, I had already eaten dinner. I had already eaten dessert. I had already eaten a snack. <laughs> and I ordered pizza. So... That's right. You know, you just had to. Yeah, see, I needed my sustenance in my nutrition, and my wife wasn't home. That helped that. Uh, that helped that out quite a bit as well. And so I ordered pizza, and after it was over, I had that feeling I usually have after I eat pizza, which is, what was I doing? Why did I do this? I shouldn't have done this. Why? Why don't I have more control? Uh, What's wrong with me? Uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced that before too. Maybe you have, you, you ask yourself the question of how do, I, how do I motivate myself more effectively? How do I move myself in the direction I want to go? For any of you guys who had, had teenagers or were, were a teenager, some of us, um, or you, you have teenagers currently and you have tried to wake them up before noon, you know how hard it is not only to motivate yourself but to motivate others sometimes, to move others uh, that is an experience sometimes in our life. Uh, the, my, my kids are back there giving me the look of don't say that, don't say that out loud. So it's hard sometimes to move others. I think we probably have people in the room right now as we sit and listen that have some, some things in their life as they watch people around them. Uh, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, and you have something really serious that you need to see happen in that person's life. You see them heading towards a path of destruction, maybe it's financial ruin and financial decisions that you're just like, don't do that. Or maybe you see somebody that's in a, in a marital situation and you're watching them make mistakes and you're watching them get too close to that other person. You're saying, don't do that. And you wish you could move them. Maybe you're watching and you look out and you see in the community, you see people who need, need service, you need, need to be reached out to. Maybe you have a heart for single mothers and you go, who, how can we get other people moved to engage those who need our help, who, who are hurting and who are suffering? Maybe you watched and you watched on the news and you watched on Twitter and you watched on videos of, of the uh, Planned Parenthood videos and you go, man, we've got to do something about the innocent infants, the babies who are being murdered in this, in this country and in this nation. Man, what can we do? And you feel like there needs to be a movement that starts. You want people to engage those who need the restoration and hope and healing of Jesus Christ. And you want to see that movement happen. Whether it's in you, in your family, and those who are hurting, maybe it's even our nation, you and I, we see all the time opportunities. Places maybe even where we're desperate to see a movement of Christ, a movement of healing, a movement of restoration to happen. And that's what we're talking about in this series on kinetic. Uh, kinetic is the idea of taking something that is stationary and has a lot of potential energy and that spark or that moment where it transfers from potential energy into kinetic energy, when something goes from stationary into movement. And in so doing, we're looking at Matthew chapter 4 and we're studying in a life, a moment in the life of Jesus where we get to see a little bit of a behind the scenes uh, in the life of Jesus as he starts the movement that we know as Christianity. Now we got into some of the some of the basic things as we really reviewed our uh, the conference Will and I went to a couple Sundays Sundays ago. But over the next several weeks, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper and hit on a few of the different principles that we see in this passage of Scripture that help us understand what it means to be a part of a movement. And more than a church plant, by the way, we want to be a movement. Uh, we want at Restoration Church. We want to be a part of a discipleship, missional, change the city, change the world movement, a grassroots movement. So we. 
really want to pay attention real deeply to what we see in these passages of Scripture as we study and dig in and understand how Jesus started His movement. It will help us all in whatever kind of movements we want to engage to support as well. We're in cha chapter 14 of Matthew. Uh, verse 18 is where we're going to read today. So remember what we've, what we've read so far. We've been in Matthew for a little bit studying. Uh, John the Baptist engaged and started this ministry. And Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And uh, the Father says, this is my, my son. I love him. He's loved and he's perfectly pleasing to me. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted for a long time, for 40 days, right? And he's, he's experiencing temptation. But I don't believe what the Father just said about you, that you're the son. He comes out of that temptation and he begins part of his ministry. Uh, we read a little bit about that a few weeks ago. And he, he takes on the mantle of John the Baptist. He doesn't just start his own thing over to the side. Even Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, picks up the ministry uh, mantle of John the Baptist, if you will, and moves forward in his ministry in a similar way, in the same way John the Baptist did. I think we'll dig into that more uh, going forward. And then we get to verse 18, where Jesus begins to recruit people to be a part of this movement. So you have other folks around you um, as, a part of, uh, as a part of your vision and a part of your passion, and your movement isn't really moving. So Jesus is looking to, looking to get some people to be a part of his movement. Look at verse 18. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, well, let's, let's go back to verse 20, because let's just, just get that. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. I think they had probably fun saying their dad's name when they were like three years old, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Have you ever read this passage of scripture and had, had a couple of thoughts? I've had these thoughts. I wonder if you too. Uh, first of all, the thought I have is, what in the world were they doing following this guy? Imagine this, if you will. This is the way I imagine this passage of Scripture most of my life. Imagine this. We're sitting here. Maybe we're just having dinner. We're all here hanging out, having dinner together. Uh, just, just some folks. And some, some guy comes in. Maybe he's just got some jeans on, some flip-flops. He's wearing like a dark gray shirt, kind of, kind of missing a little bit of hair up top. and around. Maybe it looks like Will or something like that. <laughs> Walks in. He looks at you. He says, I want you to stop your job. I want you to quit. And I want you to start following me around. I want you to start hanging out with me. We're, I'm going to go places and you're going to go with me. Everywhere I go, you've got to follow me. You've never met this guy. You hear him say that. What are you going to do? I, I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to follow this guy around. I don't care who he is. Some, we'll get to that. <laughs> I like it. But, he gave off something. Like if Jesus approaches us, he may give off something that we're... Might be the sense of something. Oh, this urge. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe the Holy Spirit draws us, right? So, we, we, maybe something like that. <laughs> I like Jim. He always gives us those theological words. He's like, let me, let me explain to this for, for, for Lance since he doesn't know these things. Let's get these theological ideas. <laughs> Um, we, we, need a, we need a little, like, for you to sit up here and just nudge me. Hey, here's the theological description. <laughs> We're actually going to look at why. 
<laughs> there you go. That worked too. We're going to look at in a moment and understand why they were willing to follow him. There's, to me, a better explanation than what I would have come up with myself. These are all good explanations, things that I've thought of before. Um, but the, the explanation that I think the text is going to help us understand when we understand the life of Jesus contextually is going to help us understand why this crazy thing, what seems like a very crazy thing, happened. Yeah, and isn't such a crazy thing. And, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do that, th think about what Jesus is asking them to do. Follow me. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a, uh, that represents for me a hard obedience. So maybe obedience for you is really easy all the time. But I think some of the things Jesus asks us to do is, is tough. Uh, it's, it's about to get this way. So if you, if you haven't read ahead in this book or in a while, haven't re remembered, think about some of the things Jesus is going to ask these folks to do. He's going to say things like, when somebody punches you, forgive them. You know, turn away. Don't, don't punch them back. What? I'm ready. To, justice, man. You hit me. I'm supposed to hit you back. He's going to say something, some crazy things like, if somebody takes your coat from you, steals your coat from you, Start unbutton your shirt and give them your shirt as well. Don't take them to court. Don't prosecute them. Don't make sure they get justice. Give them your shirt. If somebody comes in your house in 2015, somebody comes in your house and they steal your DVD player, if we still have those, give them your TV. Make sure that they leave with your TV as well. What? How many people live that? Jesus is going to say some stuff that's so tough for us to obey. We like to think of ourselves as pretty obedient. I think I do. You may not. You're probably a lot more humble than I am. But I like to think of myself as a pretty obedient guy. But then I read what Jesus says defines obedience, and I realize how disobedient I really am on a consistent, regular basis. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I won't get into it too much because there's so much there. But Jesus says, you know, you've heard it's wrong to murder. That's not really what's wrong. What's wrong is to hate somebody. You've heard it's wrong to have adultery? AshleyMadison.com? Oh, boy, I can't believe that guy's name's on AshleyMadison.com or that lady's MashAshleyMadison.com. You've heard it's wrong to have adultery? Yes, of course that's wrong. But if you're lusting, you're desiring, you're fantasizing about perversion, that's just as bad. You're just as disobedient. You're just as ungodly as that guy or that lady that's on AshleyMadison.com. So Jesus is going to say some hard stuff. He's even going to say eventually, you need to be willing to die for me. You need to be, able to be willing to give your life for me. That, and, and we separate ourselves so often from what was really going on in these moments. And, and I think we forget, Peter had a, had a wife. Peter had kids. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, you need to be willing to die for me. You need to be willing to leave that family without a breadwinner. And I don't think Jesus would ever ask that. He did. Jesus is going to say, when he says, follow me, this isn't some small command. This represents the goal, I think, most of us as we want to follow Jesus as, that we have. We want to be people who follow Jesus at this radical level. We want to be people who reflect and represent these obedience, these hard obediences that Jesus requires of us, no matter if they feel good, no matter if they feel uh, difficult, no matter if they're against our culture, no matter if they're against the way we were raised. Maybe Oprah Winfrey didn't say do that, but we got to do it anyway. Jesus is saying when he says, follow me, he is calling us to a very difficult, hard obedience. 
It's important to remember. So when these guys were, Jesus walks up to them. Imagine somebody walking out of nowhere, walking up to you. Hey, guys, start obeying me. Start following me and doing what I tell you to do. So why in the world would they do that? I didn't know until I started this passage of Scripture that we have a little bit of a, a glimpse, a behind the scenes, a, a prequel. I was so excited and then thereafter very disappointed as a huge Star Wars fan of episodes 4, 5, and 6, the, the ones that are old and grainy, you know what I'm talking about, uh, with Luke, the best ones, the, the ones that are real ones. I was so excited when I heard that they were going to have a prequel. And I was going to get to know about all the stuff that happened before Luke Skywalker. And for those of you who are Star Wars fans, you know what that moment was like. They're going to tell me about stuff before? This is going to be awesome. And then I was so disappointed when Jar Jar Binks showed up on the screen. For those of you who have seen Jar Jar Binks. But we do get a little bit of a prequel um, to this story where Jesus talk, talks to the apostles. We get a little bit of a glimpse of some stuff that happened before that. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. And we're going to be mainly in verse 35 and following. But just to catch you up, so we have Jesus being baptized by John in verses 29 and 30 and 31 and 32, Jesus says something, uh, John says something pretty amazing to me in verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or some translations say, Behold, look at, marvel at the Lamb of God. Do you think an Israelite probably knew what a lamb represented? Absolutely they did. This is the sacrificial lamb of God. And this isn't any sacrifice. This is the one we've been waiting for for thousands of years. And what will he do? He will be sacrificed as the lamb of God. And then what will that result in? He will take away the sin of the world. He will take away the sin of Lance. He will take away the sin of Keith. He'll take away the sin of Rebecca. He'll take away the sin of the world. Behold him. And we, you could keep reading. We won't read it today. But he, Jesus is baptized. We hear the declaration of the Father. And then we get down to verse 35. Again, the next day. So this is right after, right? Right after Jesus is baptized. So this expands a little bit. So in Matthew, we have several events that happen. We have the baptism of Jesus, the temptation, some other things from Jesus ministering in the wilderness. And then we have Jesus calling Peter and Andrew and James and John and saying, follow me, what we just read earlier. But this gives us a little bit of a glimpse. This is right after the baptism of Jesus. John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. He's kind of reminding them of what he said yesterday, right? Good preachers always repeat themselves a lot. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi means teacher. Where are you staying? Where are you living? Where are you hanging? Where do you stay? Verse 39. Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, where he was living, and they lived... And stayed with him all that day. It was about the tenth hour in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Sorry. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. 
He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. So, what you may or may not realize is this was about six months before Matthew chapter 4, the passage we read earlier. Six months. After this, we're going to see Jesus do, the, do the, for his first miracle, which does anybody remember what his first miracle was? Turn water into wine, right? He's at a party. He's at a wedding party. They run out of wine. Jesus turns water into wine. And his disciples are there, and it helps them believe in him. So they, they start hanging out with Jesus. They just go start, start, start coming to his house. And then we see Jesus at the, at the uh, party with them at the party with Jesus. We see a discussion Jesus has with Nicodemus. It's hard to know whether the disciples were there or not. I bet Jesus talked to them about it. All the way up until John chapter 6 represent part of the story that precedes Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus looks out, he walks up one day, sees Andrew and Simon and James and John fishing, doing their jobs like normal, and he says, follow me. Here's what that means to me. It means as we look to engage our culture, as we look to start a movement, as we look to start a church, as we look to experience the movement of Christ in ourselves and experience Christ in us, we can't skip friendship. So what did Jesus do? So before he walked up to them and followed them, they engaged Jesus in daily life. He invited them to his house. Come on over. Let's, let's come hang out. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I invite you to my house in three weeks from now, if I said something along the lines of, on... Uh, September the 24th. I don't even know what day that is. Don't come over this day because I won't be ready for you. But if I said come over September the 24th and we put it on the calendar at like 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night and we're going to have dinner. Let me tell you what's going to happen all week before that. You know what's going to happen. I'm going to clean my house, right? I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to, I like doing this because I, I just enjoy it. I'm going to probably get you a really good meal to prepare. I just, I'm going to do so. I'm going to take care of you. I'm probably going to make sure when you come over, the house is clean. It smells good. I'm going to put the dog out in the backyard. Those of you who have been in our family group are like, thank you. Um, put the dog in the backyard or maybe the garage. I'm going to make sure that when you walk in the house, it is pristine. It's an amazing experience. But if you show up at my house at 4 o'clock on some random afternoon, I may or may not answer the door, just to be perfectly honest. Because when you walk in... What you will probably find is not a clean house, but a dirty one. I know the rest of you probably aren't like this. Your house is perfect all the time. <laughs> but you'll come to my house at 4 o'clock, a random day. You come to my house. This is going to be a dirty house. This is going to be a real house. The dog's going to be laying on the couch, and the couch is going to smell a little bit like our dog. Just, this is going to be like it is. I'm going to be wearing, just so you're aware, I was going to bring these for you today. I'm going to be wearing a pair of Umbro shorts that I bought as a 19-year-old college student that had hole, that has holes where it, no shorts should have holes. It has paint running down one side of it. That's what I'm going to be wearing. Who knows, what I, who knows what's going to be above those umbro shorts? I, maybe nothing, just to be quite honest with you. I am, I am maybe ill-prepared to receive guests. But as you come in the house, you're going to get the real me. You're probably not going to get a steak. You're probably not going to get a nice cheesecake I'm probably going to, going to go scramble in the refrigerator and be like, we got some water Diet Coke. and Diet Coke. <laughs> Will's been there at that time. 
maybe some tea, maybe. What do you want to eat? Let's see what we got to eat. We got some crackers and some mayonnaise. Anybody ever eaten crackers and mayonnaise? Mmm, delicious. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, just come on, just come on like I am. Just come to my house. Just come on over. Jesus is saying, come into my life and let me show you what I am, how I am all the time, the real me, the, the un the unclean uh, part, the I'm not prepared for you part, the I'm just in my umbros part. Jesus said, just engage my life. Let's engage life together. And then Jesus, before he says, follow me, he starts with friendship. You can say it this way, authentic friendship is always the root when authentic worship is the fruit. Authentic friendship is always the root when worship, authentic worship, is the fruit. Jesus is saying, before you engage me in these radical calls of obedience, I'm inviting you, before I invite you to follow me in radical obedience, I'm inviting you into a friendship. So let's think about what all that means. For me, what that means is a couple things. One is, we want to move people. We want to have people to experience movement. At work, we want to move people. In our families, we want to move people. We want to see people grow and become better, to be inspired. We want to have influence. It starts with friendship. Don't skip friendship. Jesus didn't. Jesus is the Son of God. And, and I hope this doesn't make anybody feel bad. We all had good reasons why Jesus could come in and say, follow me, right? And he could have done any of those things. He was a Son of God. He could have just spiritually like, whoa, you know, you know done something like that and made you, and made you follow him. It could have just been some sense that he had, like we talked about. No, those are things I thought of too. Could it be a, a theological paradigm that we can explain by irresistible grace? I like it when Jesus turns all of our thoughts and my thoughts on our head and goes, I just want to engage you in a friendship. Before this radical call to obedience, just come hang out with me. Just live life with me. Let's be friends. This helped me think about my marriage in this way. I think a good marriage is built. Because let's just be honest. There's times where we want to move. We might look at our spouse and we might, I want them to get better. Some wives may look at their husbands and say, I want them to, I want them to start cleaning, washing the dishes. Or maybe it's something more serious. I want them to stop looking at pornography. Wives may look at their husbands. Uh, husbands may look at their wives and say, I want her to get better. I wish he cooked better for those in that traditional thing, you know. That's not, that's not really our house. <laughs> or it may be something more serious is, I, I wish she could find joy in Christ. I wish she could find peace in, in Christ. We want people to move. And our culture would tell us that the solution to that is better romance. Nothing wrong with romance. Better sex. Nothing wrong with sex. I think Jesus is reminding us that before we, we engage or we move people, we have to build our marriages even on the foundation of friendship. Be friends first. Don't skip friendship in your marriage. I even think this reflects a, a, some wisdom for us in parenting. Now, if you're like me, you've heard this statement, and by the way, I agree with it, that 
I've, I've said this before, and I think it's true. I'm glad my parents chose to be my parents and not my friends. I agree with that. I think that's a, that's a wise approach to parenting. But when you think about what friendship meant for Jesus, it was more about quality time, right? It was more about real time. It's more about engaging at the, at the personal, intimate, relational level. Your parenting, our parenting should be built on the foundation of quality time. You know, it's okay to be... It's okay to discipline your children. The Bible commands us to. Matter of fact, the Bible says something radical. Let's see if you can fill in the blank. Fill in the blank to this. Spare the rod and... Oh, one of you got it right. Oh, I was going to say one of you got it right. So we as, we as Southerners and as Christians have grown up our whole lives thinking that passage said, spare the rod, spoil the child. Look it up later. It doesn't say that. It says, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. Says, them and save their souls from hell. Woo! Did you hear that, girls? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Proverbs 23, 13. Oh, wow. She's quoted that one a few times. I like it. <laughs> Not even here. So the Bible teaches discipline. But let that discipline fall in the context of powerful, powerful love. Unconditional love. Love that's more than what you feel. I feel love for my kids 24-7. There is not a second, no matter how sassy or sarcastic they get. Um, and it, that never has happened at, at once in our family life. But if that were to happen, I can imagine that I would probably still have feelings of love for them. Let's just let's go that way with it. I love them 24-7. I say I love them most of the time. All of that is good. But our parenting should be built on the foundation of showing love. And we show love like Jesus did by starting with friendship, by don't skipping the friendship. And for parenting, that means quality time. It means us engaging our children. Quality time is defined by you doing with someone else what they want to do. That's what quality time is. Quality time isn't, and, and I've been guilty of this, hey girls, come watch Auburn play football with me. That's quality time for me. That's not quality time for them. And that applies to marriage too, right? Quality time may be, hey, what do, you, what, do you guys, what do you guys playing? Can I play with you? Hey, where are you drawing? Can I, can, I, can I watch you draw? In the context of that kind of love, that kind of powerful foundational love that's not just said or felt but shown, we can be some pretty powerful parents. As a church, so... In our lives and in our, in our relationships, we need to seek to affect people, move people by, by engaging them in friendship. As we seek to share the gospel and help people discover the, the, the power of Jesus, start with friendship. Don't start with what you're against and your rules and your laws. Start with friendship. It doesn't matter. Look, I, I, there is, I think a lot of people, a lot of us have different like issues that we're just like, get fired up about. And, and some of us have different ones. And I, I have one of those. I'm not going to tell you exactly which one it is because I don't, I don't want to stir up too much controversy. But it's easy for me to approach... I, I'll tell you what it is. Um, I think we... Anyway, I'll tell you what it is. For me, it's abortion. I have naturally, without processing the love God calls me to have for others, very little space in my life for any consideration not just for abortion, I don't think should have any consideration for space for doing, doing that, but for those who have committed it or maybe those who believe in it. Just very little space in my mind. So I can be tempted to approach 
a relationship based on that rule. If you don't agree with me on this, we're just done. You're just stupid. That's a southern way to say it. Stupid. I, I can be that guy. It's sinful, it's wrong, it's ungodly, but I can be that guy. Now, everybody in here has an issue like that. Most of us have multiple ones, right? That's how we often as Christians approach sharing our faith with other people. We start with the law. We start with the rules. Don't do this, do that. You better stop doing this and then I will engage you. Start before you go, follow me in this radical hard obedience or even follow Jesus in this radical hard obedience. Start with a friendship. Don't skip friendship. I have been a part of evangelism in every way you can imagine. I've knocked on doors. Uh, The craziest one was this. This doesn't work as well as it used to. They knock on doors, open the door. How are you doing? My name's Lance. I'm from so-and-so church. I'd just like to, if you have a second, to spend some time talking to you about our church and get in the door and maybe you get a chance to share the gospel with them. I've done that. The craziest one was a guy opened it up. He was in his whitey tidies completely from head to toe. That's all he had on was his whitey tidies. And he said... Uh, and he said, pass the cornbread and share the biscuits at every word I said. Pass the cornbread and share the, share the biscuits. I gave up on door knocking after that one. There's got to be a better way. I have, in the past, this is crazy. You're going to laugh at me for this one. You're going to think, what in the world? We shouldn't let this guy preach anymore. I have stood on street corners and preached. I wish I would have under, uncovered this principle a long time ago, and that is that you can't skip friendship. Love people, serve people, get to know people. It's not about your political message. It's not even about your moral message. It's about the glory and restoring hope of Jesus that He provides for us on the cross through His grace as He promises to redeem us, to cleanse us, and to bring us close to God. And through that relationship, through that friendship, it's through that that we get into a position that we can go, yes, when He says, follow me into some radical command or some radical hard obedience. As a church, we have built our church around this idea of intimacy with God through intimacy with others. Now sometimes that, some of you hear that phrase like, well, that's kind of a weird little phrase. What all does that mean? I get that. I kind of did too the first time we started talking about it. I think I may have, you know, as we, as we were talking about in the car one day, I was like, that sounds good, but that kind of sounds crazy too. But the reason we say that a lot is because it's because of passages like this where Jesus says, where Jesus teaches and Jesus models that in order to engage your culture, in order to change a city, in order to start a movement, to move from potential energy to kinetic energy, you can't skip friendship. You engage people through authentic relationships and community. That's why we've given two tools at Restoration Church. And really we're all about these two tools. Even Sunday morning is about engaging people into these two tools. One is missional family groups and one is depth groups. We are going to kickstart depth groups uh, on September the 7th, I believe it is, that first couple weeks of September. Missional family groups, sorry, thank you thank you for correcting me. Missional family groups on September 7th. And what is it all about? It's about pulling believers together so that they can obey this representative example of Jesus Christ and be a part of a gospel movement. And by the way, if you've experienced the gospel, you will burn, you will burden, you will hurt to see other people experience it. You will look for ways. So if, if you hear missional family group and you think, well, I hope we can get together in our own little huddle, 
and stay protected from the outside world and dig in and make, maybe I'll get to grow myself and I'll get to enjoy family and do that. You might want to just reflect before you jump into that. Have you, have you encountered the gospel in a while? Because when you encounter the gospel, and by the way, you should encounter the gospel every day, all day long. It should be like breathing to us. If you encounter the gospel and you encounter God's grace and you are aware of the forgiveness Jesus has given you and the hope and the healing and the restoration that that gospel provides you, you will yearn, you will be broken, you will burn to share that message with other people. You'll be looking for ways. Through missional family groups, we want to help families, we want believers to come together and then go out in the community. And instead of inviting people in church, we want, them to, we want to invite people in a relationship. So invite them to a worship service on Sunday morning. We want, you to, we want you to have a party and invite them to a party. We want you to make friends. We want you to start with friendship in missional family groups. Think about this passage this last way. There's a lot of practical application about how we should engage family life, engage our other relationships, how we should engage the gospel. But let's, let's make sure we flip this for a minute and get the biggest point of all. And that this is how Jesus engages us. Jesus in the gospel says, Jesus in the most powerful message and promise that there is, is that it's not about what you do. It's not about how you perform. It's not about your righteousness. It's about my gift of grace provided for you on the cross. And in that gift, I look at you and I say accepted. I say beloved. I say friend. Think about how shocking that is. Every religion on the planet, if they get to the idea of friend, they say, before you can be God's friend, you've got to do the list. You've got to do the commandments. You've got to do the laws. You've got to do the rules. You've got to be a moral person. You've got to be the person who's willing to do the radical obedience. Jesus says, let's start with a friendship. And that out of the friendship, out of the relationship comes heart change. And out of the heart change becomes the person and the willingness and the love and the desire so that then I can approach Jesus and Jesus can approach me and he can say, Lance, if somebody takes your coat, give them your shirt. If somebody steals your car radio, give them your car. If somebody punches you, turn around. Give them a hug. Prefer others above yourself. Forgive somebody, not just one time, but 70 times, 7 times. Forgive them over and over and over and over. But wait a minute, that's crazy. I can't do that. If I do that, they'll keep mistreating me. Jesus says, don't consider you. Prefer others above yourself. A radical, hard, almost impossible, yes, straight up impossible obedience that Jesus calls us to. But Jesus says all of that happens. And that can only happen when we start with a friendship with Jesus Christ. And He invites us into that friendship through the cross, through grace. There's a part of this passage in John. If you still have your Bible there, you can go look at it. It's the end of verse 37. It says, actually verse 38, when Jesus turned, 
So imagine if Jesus was up here today. I'm going to stand over here. Imagine if Jesus was up here today and he's standing up here talking to us maybe. Maybe just standing up there. And it says, when Jesus turned, maybe turned around, he noticed us following him, maybe he noticed us sitting here, and he asked them, and he asked you today, what are you looking for? And that's the question I think Jesus wants us to leave with today. Because if we're looking for the great friendship that Jesus wants to give, just like He did with these guys here, He will give it for us. Jesus' word for you is, what are you looking for? We We fill in that answer with a lot of things, a lot of church things, a lot of political things, a lot of family things, a lot of material things. When our answer is, Let's, let's start with friendship, Jesus. Jesus says that's the right answer. Let's go home together. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. To learn more about our church or to hear other messages, please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us.